It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 52 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.30, it is the first of a two-segment conversation with legendary stand-up comedian Brian Regan ahead of his show at ACL Live at the Moody Theater this Sunday. Tickets at ACLLive.com. And in mere seconds, it's a couple of segments with one of my favorite people, Justin Wells of InsideTexas.com. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Courtesy Wave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Justin Wells can be found at Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel, on Twitter at JustinWells2424, and on this show for a couple of segments on Wednesdays. Hey, that's today, so what do you know? We got Justin right now out of the gate. Justin, always a pleasure. Thank you for the time. How are we doing this week? Man, we're doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Still looking for a D-line coach, lots of recruiting happening. Let's start with the D-line coach, Justin, because uh, this is a position that has been open for a couple weeks now since Bo Davis decided to return to his alma mater a few weeks ago after initially spurning LSU, and Sark is going to take his time here. He wants to make sure he gets the right guy. Earlier this week, it seemed like it was going to be Texas X Roderick Wright coming over from the Houston Texans to take that position, but you guys reported a little bit earlier today that that no longer looks to be the case. What happened there, and and where is this search right now? That's the big question. You know, I, I think Roderick Wright made a lot of sense. And I think if I was a Texas fan, I'd be a little disappointed. And if I was Steve Sarkeesian, I'd be a little more disappointed. I think at the end of the day, Rot Wright just really enjoyed the NFL. And, you know, man, it really is two different animals coaching in college and NFL. I don't think people realize, you know, the, the age difference, I think, is easier for coaches because the younger the player, the easier to develop, to be able to coach up without criticism, you know, to be able to, 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 to build a football player. In the NFL, man, these guys are dudes already. These are guys with families and this is their livelihood. And you don't have to recruit. And I think that's the di- biggest difference today in, t- in the NFL and in college. It's the recruiting aspect. And it's not just recruiting high school kids. You're recruiting out of the portal. You're re-recruiting your own players to get them to stay another year, you know, another two years. So, you know, NIL, you have, you know, there's so many factors. I don't blame him in some regards because, you know, coaching in the NFL seems like it's a little easier to, uh, today than it was 10 years ago comparative to, to college football, which where, you know, every single day is a grind. And I think at the end of the day, Rod decided uh, playing with the pros was a little bit better. I scratch my head when I see a guy go from the professional ranks to the college ranks at this point, while also not questioning at all when a guy goes from the college to the pros because of what you just laid out there. You are having to stay on these guys 24-7. You may get small vacations here and there, but this really does feel like a uh, 24-7, 365 job at the college ranks right now. That may change at some point based on rules put in place or if a rev-sharing model kicks in or, or these guys are actually uh, under physical contract at some point to be at a school from this time to this time. But in the meantime, it's up to these coaches uh, to keep the kids uh, both past and present and for the future's sake, uh, as happy as can be. Let me tell you something, Trey. I've got a lot of buddies that coach in the college ranks, and if you ask them collectively right now, if you were a young, up-and-coming coach, or uh, you know, just got a graduate degree, or just you know, just get just out of college, 
and you were wanting to join the college football world of coaching, would you do it? And 100% would tell you run the other way. Wow. And that is a stark difference from five, six, seven years ago, Trey. Like, I think college coaches were predetermined to know, or predisposed rather, to know you got to recruit. That's a grind. Uh, you got to de- you got to not just develop your kids, but you got to develop them into to men. You got to check on them. You got to make sure they're taking care of their stuff in the classroom, that they're taking, you know, they're being good men, you know, off the field as, as much as on the field. You know, that was a hard enough job. All of that was a hard enough job. Now you add NIL, you add the transfer portal, you add you know, the coaching carousel. I mean, it's a beating that these guys take. And and I wish there was rules and regulations because I think that would give some, some stability to these coaches, give them a sense of, 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 of routine rather than every single day, 365 days a year, you're going to have to do something in regards to recruiting, to portal, to development, to training, to, to, I mean, it's just nonstop. And so again, I don't necessarily blame Roderick, Wright. You know, it, it recruiting is, it's not for the faint of heart. I cover recruiting and let me tell you, it, it can be a rough, it can be a rough uh, go of it, but it's just different, man. It's so different these days. I'd like to see some rules and regulations because I think we're going to see some really good coaches in the next few years, say sayonara, Jay Wright in, in the prime of his yeah. career booked out. Nick Saban obviously was, was getting up in age, but I guarantee you, he he looked at at the the chart and he looked at his routine and he thought, you know what, my my role is increasing and I'm getting older, you know that, that I'm almost going backwards here, and so I think you're going to see a few more of it uh, casualties as well until they finally do put in some rules and regulations. Is there one obvious and realistic thing that could be done to help this whole process out in your mind in terms of a, a rule or regulation change? I wish I had the answers, but I think there just needs to be really strict windows. Okay, you can get in the portal at this point and you can leave at this point. And I understand there are windows. There are times when it opens and closes. But anytime a kid wants to go against that or buck the trend, all they have to do is fight the NCAA. And the NCAA is a boxer without gloves. (laughs) And so you don't – I think they want something more – routine based, something more aligned. Let me tell you, last summer, Texas hosted a ton of people in June for official visits. That one month could have burned every single coach out because you're literally cramming something they used to do over the course of a year into three and four weeks. And so to me, I think that's why you're seeing a lot more kids committing early. Because, uh, you know, that those spots fill up a lot quicker. And, and, you know, I have parents ask me all the time, you know, what, you know, when should we commit or when should we do this or when, you know, what does it take? And I generally say, you know, if you can find a spot you love and a coaching staff you can get along with in a college, you wouldn't mind going to if you didn't play football. Get your spot before you start your senior year. Make sure you commit before, before you're before you start your senior year, because the closer you get to October, November and December, those high school scholarships vanish. They become void and it becomes a, I need someone immediately. 
that has some experience that can come in and play immediately that I don't necessarily have to develop. I have to go in the portal and look for this guy. I got, I'm gonna have, we're going to lose these two guys probably to the portal, so I'm going to have to go in and replace them with two other guys. I don't know if the guy I recruited last year is developed enough to be able to slide into that role, so I'm going to have to recruit over him in the portal, which might damage my relationship with that kid. I mean, it's 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 a lot, Trey. And so I don't know if there's a rule that you could do right now other than, you know, the NCAA is just powerless. But if you had like a governing body, you know what? They need a commissioner. Mm-hmm. College football needs a commissioner, a guy that's going to put, you know, but also, you know, keep the rules strict, adhere to all that, you know, and, and when you're punished, you get punished, you know? And so I, I wish I had a better answer for that. But to me, I just – it's just so much at once. I'm not – I had actually had a, I had a coach tell me years ago, look, I, we've opened Pandora's box, and I'm not sure if we're going to ever close it. I think you touched on the most important element of all of this, and we're up on a commercial break here. So uh, if we uh, continue this conversation, it'll be on the other side. But it requires the proper authority because in order to be able to discipline, it requires authority, but authority requires respect. Nobody respects the NCAA anymore. They are basically on their last gasp in an attempt to get something in place federally to calm a lot of this down but in the end it does feel like there will be a completely different governing body over college football the NCAA may still be responsible for every other college sport but football will be its own thing we're probably all better off as a result he is Justin Wells of Inside Texas InsideTexas.com and the Inside Texas YouTube channel coming up one more segment with Justin we'll get into junior days both last weekend this coming weekend and a little bit more in the world of Longhorn football It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. One more segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. You can find him on Twitter at JustinWells2424 and hear him on this show for a couple of segments on Wednesdays. All right, Justin, let's talk a little Junior Days now. Texas hosted a Junior Day last weekend. How did last weekend go for Steve Sarkeesian and company? Yeah, uh, over 100 prospects were on campus for, uh, for, for, for last weekend. Um, you know, this, this reminded me a lot of Mac Brown in, in capitalizing on momentum. And I think that's what Texas did. I think that's what Sark is doing. Texas has a lot of good karma going right now in the recruiting world and in the program top to bottom. And so, you know, you bring in a hundred guys and, and, and the truth is there were some really big names on campus. There were some big, big time dudes and big time talent from five-star Dorian Brew, four, uh, four-star uh, Jordan Davison, um, John Tay Newman, big offensive lineman out of Bridgeland. Uh, and then you, you always find some, some surprises. Deshaun Morgan looks fantastic out of Austin Vandergriff. You had Riley Pettijohn pop in, a big-time linebacker out of McKinney. I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, John Turntine, who might be the number one prospect in the state, offensive lineman 2026 out of North Crowley. And so um, Texas did it big. And I got to tell you, man, it was cold. 
It was cold on Saturday. <laughs> and the fact that they got all these guys in to made the trip and, and did all that, I think I think speaks volumes. As cold as it was outside, the inside of that facility was was nice and warm. And I, I think that uh, the momentum Texas has is nothing less than hot. Who is the running back recruit that they landed? The first member of the class of 2026, I guess. Racine Gullery, five foot nine and a half, about 175 pound running back out of Alito, Texas. Um, that one is one that I think Texas liked uh, going in, going into last season. And then the kid absolutely put on a show as a starter for the Alito Bearcats and, and again, the, the eventual state champion team. Uh, Gullery, it's funny. I think, <laughs> I think Tashar Choice has a type. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, the Guillory still has a few years to grow and this, you know, two years from signing is a long time in the recruiting world. And so we'll, we'll see how he blossoms, but the five, 510, 511, six foot, you know, 200 pound, 210 pound running backs, guys that can go inside and out, I think are what choice really likes. And Guillory is a guy that just has speed, man. This is a kid that can just go. Uh, and, and I think that's what this team is is building around. They like the kids that they can – to me, he kind of reminds me of a Keelan Robinson. I mean, he's a little rocket. And if you can put him in, say, some 21 personnel and, and, and have him as a gadget back alongside potentially a Javion Osborne from Forney or a K.J. Edwards from Carthage or a Tredarian Ball from Texas High, all four-star running backs with Texas offers that were on campus last weekend, I think you'd see Tashar Choice – win again. I mean, every cycle the guy gets exactly who he wants and they started 2026 off with a bang with with Mr. Gullery. Uh, they also got a 25 kid, a defensive end and his name is escaping me right now, but uh, what can you tell us about the latest class of 25 commitment? Yeah, his name should it, it might escape you, but it can't escape me. I met this kid in 7th grade. Oh, wow. And I told or I met him in 7th grade. And then I bumped into him again in eighth grade. And I told him, whenever you commit to Texas one day, you need to call me. Well, last week he called. <laughs> and so four years later, six foot five, 240 pound edge uh, athlete, Lance Jackson from Pleasant Grove down uh, over on the east side of Texarkana, Texas, committed to Texas. Uh, I believe it was on Sunday, about 2.15, uh, listen, you talk about one of the best athletes in the country. His older brother, Landon Jackson, plays and starts for Arkansas, all SEC defensive end, probably could have gone to the NFL draft, decided to come back, uh, originally signed with, with LSU and, and now has a home in, at, at Arkansas. But, you know, Lance and Texas have always been good. I've seen this kid two dozen times. He was a phenomenal football player. I mean, edge, he is disruptive. He's diabolic. On offense, he's an incredible tight end. Uh, just a really, really good athlete. To give you an idea, he also throws in the low 90s on the mound. Mm. Now, he had missed a year of baseball because of a torn labrum, and, and I know he's mainly focusing on football now because that's obviously the better scholarship compared to baseball. But just giving you an idea, man, uh, unbelievable kid. Lance is just such a good kid, Trey. It's, it's hard to put into words. Great family. Both came from Texas A&M. And for some reason, neither of the boys are going to Texas A&M for whatever reason. Um, but the key here was PK, Coach PK, Pete Kwiatkowski. You know, PK met Lance when he was at Washington. 
And that relationship carried over to PK taking the job in Austin. And, and that's why they were one of the first people to offer him because Kwiatkowski always loved him. I went to see Lance uh, once last spring and PK had actually talked to him right before I got there. And he said, he said, PK told him, look, you could be, you know, you could be a pretty good tight end in the NFL or you could be a, a, a or in, in college rather, or you could be a really good edge in the NFL. And he said, look at the draft. You know, how many tight ends go in the first five or 10 picks? How many pass rushers go in the first five or 10 picks? And I think Lance had always liked Texas. He kind of grew up liking them. But uh, PK was the, the closer there. That was that was the clincher. And let me tell you something. When you get a kid from Pleasant Grove, you're getting a dude. Hmm. Not just a great football player, but a studious kid that 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 are mannered, that have a that have a, a constitution about them. They're they're Josh Gibson does an amazing job with that program. And and so when you get a kid into Pleasant Grove, into your college, that kid's gonna be ready to play. And I'll give you an example. Uh, the leader, the leading tackler in the Big 12 last season was Nick Martin out of Oklahoma State. Pleasant Grove kid, hmm. inside linebacker that started beside him, Xavier Benson. Pleasant Grove. And then, the, like I said, the all-SEC defensive end first team, Lance ja- uh, Landon Jackson out of Arkansas, Pleasant Grove. And they're not done. Akari Johnson headed to Arkansas. Anyways, Lance Jackson to Texas was big. You get an edge guy early. They fought off Texas A&M, LSU, a little bit of Arkansas, a little bit of Alabama. But um, I think it was always going to be Texas for the longest. I actually watched him play last year against 4A state champion Gilmer, and they – took Gilmer to town. It was like a three touchdown win over the eventual state champion to give you an idea. And I, Lance Jackson was uh, productive as ever. Shifting gears now to the transfer portal where Steve Sarkeesian and his staff have had a ton of successes this off season. They land another big time prospect. This at a position of need for depth purposes, if nothing else with Tia Savea, who is following his former coach for a second time, this time from Arizona. But uh, he also started out at UCLA. What is uh, Texas getting from this uh, very active and massive defensive tackle from the Wildcats? You know, Trey, you said that name like a pro. I butchered (laughs) that kid's name left and right in the commitment video. Um, But let me tell you something. He butchers offensive linemen left and right, (laughs) so I think it's appropriate. You know, let, let's call a spade a spade. This dude's a monster. He's six foot four, 305 pounds. He's a Johnny Nansen special. He went to UCLA, played for Johnny Nansen. Nansen goes to Arizona. He follows Nansen to Arizona. Nansen goes to Texas. He follows Nansen to Texas. Uh, this was a need position in the worst way. Every guy that Texas has gotten the portal so far has, has been a guy they needed. None have been as as important. I understand the wide receiver room need to be revamped. I understand they needed to bring in some new DBs, but you're going to the SEC. This is big boy ball, and you will get bullied if you cannot stop the run. And you just, over the last two seasons, you've lost about 3,000 pounds in defensive linemen from Ojimo to Coburn to Devondre Sweat to Byron Murphy. You got to replace those dogs now. Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton—they're gonna—they're gonna be in there in the trenches. They're gonna be ready to hold it down. Savea is a guy that can can be so much more. You know, it, it, this is a kid that you know he plays with a motor and he plays with a mean streak. He wants to play in the SEC. He wants—he's about that action. And I think this is just—you know—it's Sark just owning the portal. And I love how he only grabs a handful of guys where you see some programs completely change their roster. Like 
Texas A&M doesn't even look like the same program in the last six weeks. I mean, it is completely different. You, They're going to have to walk around with name tags so everybody knows who everybody is. Ole Miss, you want to talk about going big. They do it big. But, my goodness, they're, they're, they're churning over a roster as well. And so, um, Savea is a, a guy at a need position. And, and, Trey, I can see them getting another one. Listen, D-line needs to be – you can't have too many on the defensive line in the SEC. You just can't. And I think you'll see it post-spring. I think you'll see more guys when that window does open. You're going to see that post-spring. And also, don't forget, you know, there's pretty likely Jim Harbaugh's gone. He's yep. not going to be coaching at Michigan next year. I'd be shocked if he is. And that's going to open up a 30-day window for Michigan's team to hit the portal or to, to, you know, look at their options. And so it's, it's a constant moving. It's a constant cycle. It never changes, but you got to add defensive linemen. And I think this guy was tremendous. And with, you know, we reported on Monday about defensive back Jabbar Muhammad uh, uh, via university of Washington, all pack 12 uh, corner via Oklahoma state, all big 12 corner via DeSoto high school in Texas uh, cousins of Malik Muhammad and Billy Walton, defensive lineman and, and corner uh, on, on the Texas roster. I think he's trending to Oregon. Mm. Uh, we reported that a few days ago and, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he lands being a duck. And so Sark doesn't get every single person he wants in the portal, but they get most of them. And I think Savea is huge in the regard of stacking the defensive line because they've lost some, really bona fide stars over the last two years. He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. You can check him out on Twitter at JustinWells2424 and hear him on this show, usually on Wednesdays each week for a couple of segments. Justin, thank you as always for the time, my friends. Hey, nothing but love, my man. Coming up, it is a couple of segments with legendary stand-up comedian Brian Regan, head of his headlining shows at ACL Live at the Moody Theater this Sunday. Tickets can be purchased at ACLLive.com. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Ryan Regan is a legendary stand-up comedian who over the course of decades, going all the way back to the 1980s, has proven to be a perfect blend of sophisticated writing and physicality. You can currently see him a couple of different places. One, as a co-star in the TV series Louder Milk, starring Ron Livingston. The show is receiving a sort of second life on Netflix, On the stand-up side, Brian is currently in the midst of a national tour that is making some stops in Texas this week. That includes a final Texas stop here in Austin this Sunday at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. Doors open at 6. Show starts at 7. You can go to ACLLive.com for more info and to snag tickets. Brian, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am good, and I have to tell you that I am pretty impressed with what you are putting yourself through right now. You are doing six Texas cities in six days, starting in El Paso. You're in Lubbock right now as we speak on Wednesday just before noon. You're heading to Irving, Houston, and then Austin here on Sunday night at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. My goodness, man, you are getting a great taste of what this state has to offer culture-wise. 
Yes, and the uh, I'm getting I'm doing Southwest Texas, Northeast Texas. I'm doing the whole Texas thing, and uh, <clears throat> the El Paso show last night was uh, was fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. So you're in Lubbock right now. Is anything standing out to you about Lubbock, Texas? I know you're on a tour bus right now, but have you uh, ducked your head out to see what Lubbock has to offer the people? I wish I was adventurous enough to uh, say, well. Yeah, I got up at five in the morning. I, I did my usual, uh, you know, one hour run. And then I went and checked out all the sites of Lubbock. I have nothing to offer. I, I can only tell you what I can see out the window here. And I see like a big propane tank and a dumpster. I'm not suggesting that Lubbock doesn't have more to offer. I'm just saying that that's all I can see from my perspective. I went to school at Texas Tech for a year and a half. Lubbock doesn't have much more to offer than that. Just be glad that the wind is not blowing from east to west because at that point you start to smell the slaughterhouses on the outskirts of town. (laughs) Well, uh, I'll consider myself fortunate for for the moment. There you go. Uh, In uh, doing some prep for this interview, I I listened to a couple of other interviews that you've done over time, and that included the conversation you had with Neil Brennan last year. Great conversation, by the way. A big fan of Neil uh, but during that conversation, you had talked about constantly making the effort to redefine yourself, to not uh, become stagnant with how you are going about uh, putting together an hour for your stand-up comedy, which you've been so good at for so long now. Is there a general theme or general idea that is behind the current hour that you're rolling out for the people here in Texas and beyond? I don't know about a, a general theme. I think that's one thing that I've always liked about stand-up comedy is that you don't have to have a theme to it like you can put together a bunch of different thoughts and ideas and string them all together and call them a comedy show and uh that's one thing i love about it i mean I, i i've got jokes about guns that i'm putting in which might surprise people i've i've got jokes about mundane stuff too you know uh Barbie dolls and how kids walk them. And, uh, you know, I talk about a wide variety of things and then I just try to string it together and hopefully people uh, come away enjoying it. I think that's something that people may not realize who just know you knows you as this guy who's really funny, who doesn't cuss. It's not like you're not touching on taboo topics at times. You're just not using blue language in the process. It doesn't mean that you're not taking chances and you're not going places that may cause somebody who doesn't know any better or somebody who, quite frankly, probably doesn't belong at a comedy show uh, to gasp in horror that you're uh, saying something like that out loud into a microphone. I very much appreciate you saying that because um, one of the challenges of doing comedy the way I like to do it is that if, if people hear I know you didn't use the word clean, but a lot of times people use the word clean to define what I do. And if somebody just hears that word but doesn't know or watch what I do, they can have the wrong connotation of, 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 of what it is that I'm doing. I'm not doing a kiddie show. I'm not on stage, you know, twisting balloon animals. For You know, you, you could bring a teenage kid, but, but it's um, – I like to think that it's more interesting than other people might think it is because of the word clean. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I've got a nine and seven year old at home right now and I'm 
considering because they know how big of a fan of stand-up I am and how, how big of a nerd I am just to get to talk to uh, to uh, all different types of comedians. It's like, what would be the right time and the right type of comedian to try and introduce them to the art form? They're still uh, clearly way too young for just about any comic. Maybe Gallagher. Gallagher might work. Some of his stuff from the 1980s or early 90s. But in terms of like the type of stand-up comedy that I enjoy... Uh, gotta be at least teenagers, but even then, like the, the stuff that I'm, I'm watching and listening to and laughing at, uh, there's a certain, uh, worldly awareness that comes into play and also an experience in this world that makes a lot of, uh, what you and plenty of others talk about, uh, something that's worth laughing at for the audience. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I'm, I, I like the fact that people out there can feel like they can bring their kids. Um, I'm not going to say anything that you're going to have to cover your kids ears, you know, like I, I, I'm not going to go, Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have brought, you know, our, our nine year old to the show. But at the same time, the nine year old is probably not going to be getting into a lot of what I'm talking about just because of what you're talking about. You know, it's like you have to have, lived some life to, to understand what certain comedy jokes are about. Um, I mean, I like to do some stuff that kids would enjoy, but I also am trying to do stuff that, you know, 60, 70 year old people can enjoy too. Yeah. It's got a uh, wide array of appeal, I would say. And in, one of my uh, favorite moments, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, I did a show one time and a family came backstage after the show, uh, at, including their grandmother, she was like in her 80s, maybe. And they had like grandkids. There was the whole gamut. And uh, they were all being very nice. We were taking pictures. And the grandmother said to me, so how long have you been in vaudeville? <laughs> I'm like, wow, vaudeville. <laughs> I I guess since 1910, I, I don't know how to answer that question, but, uh, <laughs> and her, 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 her kids were going, grandma, it's not vaudeville. He's not doing vaudeville. <laughs> well, I guess that, uh, that means that you're, you're not going to be able to tell her about, uh, doing stand up in whorehouses back in the late 1800s then either. Huh? <laughs> you're right. Right, she had the wrong. She had the wrong uh, notion. So, uh, one other thing that you talked about with Neil Brennan that I'm in complete agreement with you on is uh, having a sort of line anxiety. And you talk about the need for lines to be clearly marked and fair. I just have a general abhorrence to lines, Brian, because I just I don't know how much is actually worth standing in a long line for. Like people love standing in lines here in Austin for really good barbecue. Well, I, look, I get that. I've been, I've eaten at a lot of those places. The barbecue is really good, but there's places here in town where the barbecue is just as good that doesn't require you to wait in a line. Now, you take it as far as saying that there's like a basic courtesy or a lack of etiquette that comes into play with people when it comes to lines or somebody just walking up on, let's say, a counter at an airline or something where there's a line of people and it's like, hey, I just need help with this really quickly. It's like, actually, all of us just need help uh, pretty quickly. What do you think it'll take for society to return to a sort of etiquette and courtesy that seems to have just completely vanished over the last 15 to 20 years. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would hope that, you know, uh, that human behavior can have a pendulum aspect to it. You know, like maybe it can get so uh, unfair and out of control that people as a whole start going, hey, why don't we be nicer and kinder again? Um, I remember years ago, Carol Burnett and gosh darn it, I'm, gonna, I'm blanking on the other actor's name. They went on a uh, talk show circuit trying to get people to be nicer. <laughs> it was a short-lived thing. Um, who's the guy in Midnight Run? The uh, Not Robert De Niro, but the... Uh, oh, uh, uh, Charles Grodin? Charles Grodin. Yeah. It was Charles Grodin and Carol Burnett did a talk show circuit. Like, they would go on The Tonight Show and different shows, and their whole message was that people are getting out of line and they should start to be nicer and kinder to each other. And I remember thinking, this is a an interesting like uh, tour that they're on, you know, like they weren't plugging anything. They weren't plugging a movie. They weren't doing anything other than trying to get people to be nice. And I remember thinking, this is pretty cool that they're trying to take this on. I don't know how successful they were, um, but the effort was, was to be commended. And I personally think that etiquette needs a resurgence. People kind of, stop considering etiquette in this world because for a while it was like people thought it had to do with like plates and you know what fork do you use and what cup do you use and that sort of thing and people go this is ridiculous who cares about this stuff well it's not so much that it's how we are with each other that's important and i think especially with technology and phones and all of this stuff i really think that there's a place for people to be a lot more interested and concerned about etiquette and how we are are with each other and how we care about each other and, and, and how we love each other. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I'm hoping that the pendulum gets, if it gets so bad that people will want to improve how they are. You stand-up comedian Brian Regan performing at ACL Live at the Moody Theater this Sunday at 7. Go to ACLLive.com to snag those tickets. Coming up, one more segment with Brian on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment with legendary stand-up comedian Brian Regan performing at ACL Live at the Moody Theater this Sunday. A few tickets do remain. To grab those or for more information, go to ACLLive.com. Brian, I'm watching your second appearance on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. At the end of that episode, you said something that I think is so profound. You were talking about... Uh, getting butterflies in your stomach and how butterflies are important. It shows that you are feeling something. It shows that you care. I think you called butterflies memory makers. I thought that was so poetic how you put that. I'm curious, though, outside of stand-up comedy, I guess assuming that you do still get uh, butterflies and you perform stand-up comedy, what else gives you butterflies right now in your life, Brian? Uh, Wow. Um, I... I have some other projects that uh, I'm working on that are not stand-up comedy oriented, you know, like new things for me. Um, I'm in a TV series called Louder Milk, 
which is getting new life. It just got moved to Netflix, and it's one of the top-rated TV shows on Netflix. Uh, Peter Fairley is a co-creator. <clears throat> it The show gave me an opportunity to for myself to see if I could act, and um, I'm getting some good comments about it. And so it's like a whole new cr- thing career-wise for me to, as much as I love stand-up, I mean, I love doing stand-up comedy, but to be able to act is a big thing for me. So that would, that gives me butterflies. It gives me butterflies before I'm shooting a scene, wondering if I'm going to be able to pull it off. Um, And I have a wonderful woman in my life and she gives me butterflies that's important. I can't speak to uh, to the woman in your life, but I've uh, I'm about four or five episodes into Loudermilk. Livingston is great in that show. Obviously, you do a bang up job too, though. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. They they gave my, my character is Muggsy, mm-hmm. and in season one, they really only had one little storyline. I don't say little; they had like one storyline about Muggsy, maybe two. Season two, they gave me a lot more, and then season three. They really laid a lot of stuff on me, a lot of heavy emotional stuff. Uh, in fact, when I read it, when I read it, I was like, I don't know who they think I am. Why do they think I can pull this off? And it was one of those things where I better because I'm a, I'm a piece of a pie in this bigger show I can't fail. I, I have to do a, I have to do as a, a, a good enough job to pull this off. And uh, I'd like to say, I think I did, but, um, but it was a whole new experience for me. So being able to act <laughs> funny story, they shot each season is 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. So they, they shot it like a movie though. E- each season we shot, all 10 episodes, like kind of at the same time. Mm. So you don't necessarily shoot everything in the same, in the correct order. You know, they, you might shoot a scene from season from episode four. And then that afternoon you're shooting a scene from episode one. So you have to keep everything in, in your mind of what your character knows or doesn't know at that time. And I, and you get the script ahead of time, which they call the Bible. The Bible just means the entire script. I didn't know this term. And I asked Peter Farrelly one time, I said, hey, in this scene, he's the director and co-creator. I said, in this scene coming up, do I already know such and such happened? And he said, well, have you read the Bible? I was like, wow. Um, (laughs) Not in a while. Uh, (laughs) Which part of the Bible should I like reread to know how to handle this next scene? <laughs> and he meant, of course, the Loudermilk Bible. So, what allowed you to ultimately unlock some uh, some emotional places or some vulnerability that you were at least uh, at the start a little bit concerned about in season three? I, I I don't know. There are a lot of people who you mentioned, Rod and Livingston. Yeah, he is an incredible actor. I watched, he's the lead. He plays Loudermilk in the series, Ron Livingston. And I watch him, I watched him every take, every take, even takes that weren't used, even when camera's not on him. Every moment 
was 100% believable when I watched him. I saw one scene that he did where I thought he was a little off track. Only one. And he stopped like after 15 seconds and said, cut, let me get on track. And then the next take, he was right back at 100%. So I only saw one scene. Whereas me, I mean, they, they say that there are certain actors who don't take notes. You know, they don't want notes because they feel they're gifted enough where they will decide for themselves. They don't want a director coming up to them. I need notes. Give me notes. <laughs> I need all the help I can get, you know. Um, and some of these moments you have to, for me, the, the only way I could pull it off was like, I, I need this to be me. You know, I, I'm not a good enough actor to be somebody else. I, I need it to be me. So if if I can get it into my head that what I'm about to say as my character is me in that situation, then it then it feels real to me. And so that's how I did it. Obviously, you're a little bit more well-versed on the stand-up side of things and acting, serious or otherwise. And Loudermilk is a great example of the dark comedy, by the way, for anybody who's curious to check out more. Uh, you can find it on Netflix. It's uh, one of the top shows as it currently stands, and Brian's role only increases over the course of the three seasons. Do you seek out notes when you're building a new hour, or are you to a point with your stand-up career where you have a pretty good sense of what's going to work and what's not? Obviously, you have to get up on stage and work at least a little bit of it out, but are you seeking those same sorts of notes out with other stand-ups when you're building an hour? Uh, that's a... <laughs> A good question. Uh, Stand-up wise, I like it to come from my mind. I like it to come from my mind and my point of view. Um, that doesn't. So I, the vast majority of it is coming from somewhere in there. That doesn't mean that if I do a bit somewhere that I'm working with a comedian, they might have a tagline or something, or they they might say, "Well, how about if you say this, or how about if you say that." Yeah. Uh, and if it fits and it feels like it's consistent with how I think, I'm certainly open to that. And so, yeah, I've gotten lines or little moments, little beats here and there that other comedians have suggested to me that I will incorporate if I feel it's, if it is fitting with how I think anyway. If it's a laugh that would work, but it's not how I think, I, I wouldn't want to do it. All right, last question now, Brian. I'm currently reading uh, Moshe Kasher's new memoir, and it's a really great read. Entertaining, insightful, and it's based on the premise that there are these six different aspects of the life that he's lived that have really shaped who and what he is as a comedian and as a person as well. Is there any one pivotal moment that comes to mind for you from your life that has been instrumental in who and what you are today? Ooh, uh... There've been a lot of moments in my uh, in my life. One of the biggest ones for me, career-wise, stand-up comedy-wise, was when I first started auditioning. I had no idea if if I could do it. You know, like I auditioned one time and nobody said anything. Like it was like there was a comedy club in Fort Lauderdale, the Comic Strip, and they had an open mic night on Monday nights. So I went and auditioned one time. Nothing happened. I auditioned another time, nothing happened. After five auditions, this guy, Joe Mullen, he ran the club. I didn't know who he was. 
came up to me and he's like this short Irish, like no nonsense guy. And he goes, Hey, <laughs> can I talk to you in the kitchen? And I'm like, uh, sure. I knew enough that he must have something to do with the club. And I felt like this is positive. And he brought me into the kitchen. He goes, Hey, I've been watching you over the last few weeks. And, uh, I think you got something. And, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you just passed your audition, which was like, I get him. I get emotional thinking about it because it was life changing for me. You know, um, here's a guy who ran a comedy club who was giving me the green light to continue in this path that I didn't know whether I was good enough to do it or not. And so I passed the audition that night. He said I could go on every night from then on after the headliners. It was, that's a whole other story. They, they would throw locals on after the show was over in front of the audience as they were leaving. But that night when he said that I passed my audition, that was in Fort Lauderdale. I was still living with my parents in Miami. I was driving home that night on cloud nine about what had just happened. And I saw a shooting star that I had, I had never seen a shooting star. A shooting star just went right across my windshield and I went, if this isn't the most magical moment, you know, so, um, so that moment will always live with me. Dude, thank you for sharing. That was, uh, that was touching. And, uh, to say that you're, you're good enough all these years later is obviously the uh, understatement of the the decade or maybe the century. He is Brian Regan. You know who he is. He's going to be here in Austin this Sunday, ACL live at the Moody theater. There's still a few tickets remaining. Go to the ACLlive.com now to snag those because they will be completely gone by the time we get to Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. Brian, real pleasure, man. Thank you so much for the time today, and uh, best of luck with the trip through Texas. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you, and thanks for chatting with me. All right, another show is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night, and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.